Well, again, welcome to Fellowship. We're glad you're here on this great day. We enjoy celebrating two ordinances as part of the local church, the Lord's Table and Baptism. And this morning, you will get to experience and witness some baptisms. We're very excited, and the celebration uh, is about to come. Uh, before we look at some text on baptism, I do want to make one comment about the Supreme Court ruling that transpired this week. Uh, perhaps some of you have been embroiled in it, as I have been. I'm not saying you should, but if you follow me on social media, I put up two uh, blogs that I thought were the, the best written by Russell Moore and John Piper. They're pretty good bookends of a way to, to approach it. They're short, they're not long reads, but they both did a, a very good, precise job explaining the issues. You need to know the elders at Fellowship are committed committed to uh, the sanctity of marriage is one man and one woman for life. And uh, we will not change on that view. We won't budge. Uh, no matter what happens, the church will be strong on that. Uh, we don't know what the future holds. We're not afraid. We're not angry. We're not mad at anybody. We're sad for our country. We're sad for what it means. Uh, it's a distortion of love. And so we'll stand for truth lovingly. We'll be maligned. We'll, a lot of things will be said about us, and that's okay. Uh, that's who we are as a people of God. And so um, just to pray for our country, to pray for the church, for your leadership here, and for churches around the country that will have to take uh, some uncomfortable stands, but we're standing on God's word, and I'd rather stand there than on the world's view of things, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, we do want to talk about baptism for a few minutes. We come from lots of different backgrounds, and so it's good from time to time to recalibrate and say, why, why should a person get wet? Uh, if you think of the whole history of a church and baptism, why should a person be baptized? And we come from different backgrounds. There are two messages that are on Fellowship's website called Why Baptism Matters. And they're about 45 minute long messages. And we've parked them there permanently. And it goes into much more detail than I'll do in a few minutes this morning. So if you came from a different background, Church of Christ, Catholic, a denomination, a Baptist group that does it differently, and you want to know more about what we believe in the details, you can go to that site and watch those messages at great length. I'd like you to open your Bible to Luke 3, verse 21, as we begin. Luke 3, verse 21, all four Gospels include the baptism of Jesus Christ. So when we think about baptism, we begin where the New Testament begins, with John the Baptist, who is coming uh, to the lower part of the temple complex outside of Jerusalem. And as people are going up to worship, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's baptizing people. In that setting, we could read any number of these, but let's read Luke uh, 3 verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. A number of things happen at this baptism. Uh, first of all, understand, Jesus is not being baptized for the reason a pious Jew will be baptized. Jesus does need to repent. So this is what sets up the conversation with him and John the Baptist about why do this. And so the first thing, we, why is Jesus getting baptized? This passage in Matthew 3 almost say precisely the same thing. That the Trinitarian doctrine is revealed here. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. God the Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit descends on Christ. 
And the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus isn't being baptized to prove that he is saved. He's not repenting. He's being baptized to be identified as the son of God. And it's the voice of God and the spirit of God, I might say the word of God, that says, okay, this is the very son of God. That's why John had the reticence. John called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I can't touch his, his sandal. Why would I baptize you? Permitted at this time, Jesus says. So Jesus' baptism is a very important point because it identifies him. And when you peel all the layers back, that's the one word I would hope you would remember. Baptism, the way we view it, is identification. It's I'm being identified with someone named Jesus Christ. In the ancient world, uh, there were mikvahs, mikvahs or mikvots, and these mikvahs are all over the countryside. When you go to Israel, because it is God's will for you to go to Israel someday, when you go to Israel, you'll see these. There are over 50 that have been uncovered, some estimates mean 70 uncovered, on the southern part of the temple complex. When, when you go up to the temple complex, the southern steps were the way you walked in. John the Baptist would have been outside this perimeter preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The mikvahs are important because this was nothing new to the Jew. The Jew was, quote, baptized all the time during certain rituals and ceremonies that required the men only to go into the mikvah, mikvot, and they walked down some steps and out some steps. Women could do it once on a very specific occasion, but it was always men. The only time it was used was for a convert to Judaism. And these mikvahs are found all throughout Israel. They're found in Qumran. They're found in Masada, up at the top of the stronghold called Matsuda in the Dead Sea. They're found in Macarius, where John the Baptist was held prisoner. Um, they're all over the land. And even today, uh, you might build a custom home and say, I want a spa room or I want a, a nice pool. If you were a Jew with resources, you'd put a mikvah in your home. And there are homes today, if you go online and look at it, you, you search the word mikvah on your Google image, you'll find homes that have a ritual bath. You walk in the steps at one, and they come up on their side. That ritual bath cleansed you. So when John says, repent for the kingdom of God is near, be baptized, this is nothing new. But John's baptism is unique. Because he's calling them out of, let's say, not living like good Jews... To, we might say, clean up your act, live morally, live like a pious, righteous Jew, because Messiah is at hand. And that's what establishes John's baptism as it goes forward in the, through the mikvahs. Now, the church is entrusted with two ordinances, the Lord's table and baptism. Why? Because Christ says to do these things. They're unique things he gave his church to do to remember him at the Lord's table and to be identified with him through baptism. So they're great bookends. Remember what I did for you. And when a person trusts Christ and they're identified with me, you want to see that identification through this ritual, through this symbol called baptism. Now, there are lots of views on baptism. To give a, a very broad stroke, there are three. Sacramental covenantal and symbolic. Sacramental would be your more uh, churches like Catholic churches, Episcopal churches, some Lutheran churches, and some other ones. The covenantal would be more the PCA type churches where infant baptism is practiced and a lot of tangents. And then symbolic. Won't go into the details of the other two. That the, Those messages are online again if you want to watch in great detail. We unpack what those different views are. We want to focus on fellowship's view of symbolism and what it means. You've probably heard the expression, an outward uh, expression of an inward confession. A little cheeky, a little cliche-ish, but it's a good one. It's an inward profession that's outwardly expressed. I've, I've trusted Christ 
And I want people to know about it. So it's an outward expression of an inward confession. It's to be identified with Christ. It does not save a person. As we'll show you in a few verses, baptism is something that follows conversion. Baptism is a statement of obedience. It's not a conversion experience. You're not not saved if you're not baptized. A person is in right relationship with Christ when he understands, she understands, he lived, died, was buried, came back from the dead, and that any and all who put their trust in Christ and Christ alone are granted eternal life. That's salvation. That's the gospel, as short as I can say it. Living the gospel and being identified with Christ would follow then by a baptism and then saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I want to be identified as a person who believes in Jesus. Um, for the believer's baptism, uh, those who trusted in Christ, those who are mature enough to believe, which mitigates against very young children, much less infants, you have to be able to have a mental assent. Okay, I trust in Christ. I believe this. Uh, I don't like the expression, but walk the aisle, pray the prayer. <laughs> Something has to be internalized, integrated, that I'm being baptized because I've trusted Christ, not as a ritual in and of itself. Um, the pattern is seen in Acts. We'll look at it in some detail. But um, these are, again, professions of something that's happened internally. I want you to read with me the Great Commission. <laughs> this is a, a paragraph that we go over pretty quickly. And as with many paragraphs of the Bible that are familiar, um, we, we miss, they're, they're so obvious we miss the content. And one reason we call it the Great Commission, not only because it was Christ's last instruction to his disciples, but what he says in this is so potent and pervasive. Read it with me. Read it aloud, please. As you go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, this translation is a bit of a paraphrase. Uh, if you, in your English Bible, it says, uh, go is the prominent word in your English text. But the Greek text, the primary participle is make disciples. So it's not go, make disciples. It's make disciples as you go. So this is why we rendered it this way. The injunction Jesus told his disciples are make disciples. You're to reproduce yourself. A disciple is a person who believes in Christ and follows him and is following him. He says, if you make a disciple of all the nations, the word is ethnos, where we get ethnic from in our English language. So we're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest part of the world, Acts 1-8. The gospel is going to go beyond the Jew. It's going to be, go beyond the converted Jew. It's going to go to other ethnos, make disciples of all nations, all ethnos. How? Baptizing them. Strange command if it's talking about getting wet. If the command is identify them as followers of mine, it makes a lot of sense. I want you to make disciples. Help them come to trust Christ and believe in them. And as they follow my teaching, you want them to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. Note, thirdly, the Trinitarian doctrine. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy Spirit. When Christ was baptized, we had the Trinitarian doctrine. God the Father, the Spirit descends on the Son. Now Jesus is saying you identify them the same way I was identified, by the Father, by the Spirit, and by the Son. This identification pattern continues throughout the New Testament. When a person is baptized, there's a Trinitarian association. I understand God the Father, the Spirit, the Son. I'm identified with that person and work of Jesus Christ. He ordained it. And he gave us a visual symbol, not unlike the table. Here's the bread. Here's the wine. 
My body, my blood, here's an identification means. I want you to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, to say it in a, another cliche way, I would say baptism is when a person uh, comes to Christ at some point and now says, you know, my life should be a thank you back to Christ. My life should be an expression of, I believe and I'm following you best I can with your help and your spirit and your word and your people. And to that end, I want people to know so when these men and women are baptized today, they're taking that step saying, I want people to know that I'm a follower of Christ. I'm taking a step to be publicly identified as a follower. Again, baptism doesn't save. Baptism identifies a person who has been saved. Now, the book of Acts is a complex book if we don't see it clearly. It's really not that hard, but if we read it pell-mell, we're going to get confused. If you uh, take notes in your Bible like godly people do... Um, on the front page of Acts, you should write the word transition at the top of that. You should always think of the word transition whenever you open the book of Acts. If not, you're going to get confused. If you keep in mind the transition is occurring, you won't be confused. Because you'll see there's some things that are happening that aren't always necessarily sequential. And sometimes the sequences mess us up. So we must see Acts as a book of transition. Now just as an example, this Diamond depicts, I think, very helpfully some of the things, just a few, that are transitioning. We're going from law, from the Jewish law, the Torah law, to grace. And there's going to be a collision. Think of the stories where those who are clinging to the Jewish law versus where grace is going, the gospel, even to the Gentiles. They can't handle this. You've got Jews separated from the ethnic group of the Gentiles. You're going from a separate group of Jewish people to a spreading of the gospel. You're going from the focus of nation of Israel being God's chosen people to all the world, to the kingdom of God. You're going from Israel as a focal place of geography to the earth. Judea, Samaria, they're the most part of the earth. You're going from Jewish rabbis who were elders in synagogues to apostles who also build disciples, who also appoint elders of local churches. You're going from a synagogue model, which was strictly separatistic of Jew only, segregating men and women, to house churches that were going to go beyond the confines of a synagogue. And finally, from the law, the Torah, to the epistles. Now, keep this in mind. This transition is occurring. When you read Acts, the, the letters Paul writes, Corinthians 1 and 2, Ephesus, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, Colossians. He's writing, and those are stories that come out of this transition. So you, you kind of have to insert the epistles into the long storyline of Acts, which is a theological and historical story of the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives and how the gospel's spreading. And so when Paul plants these churches in Ephesus and so forth, he's going to later write a letter to them. So you almost have to take the epistles and put them sort of time stamp underneath the storyline of Acts to keep the sequences in line. Otherwise, you get very confused. Well, these things happen in different orders. Yes, they do. Because Acts is the transition of all these things on the left side changing to that on the right, the transitions that occur. I can't overstate the importance of keeping the word transition in mind when you read through the book of Acts. And this is why. The next slide shows you four different baptism experiences in the book of Acts. And this is where 90% of the trouble begins. And if you trace denomination, think about this for a minute, theoretically. Within the Baptist denomination, there are probably, what, 25 different views of baptism? 
And how many times does the Baptist church split over it? How many times do mainline split? The Presbyterian church holds on to infant baptism for many of them. You have Reformed Baptist churches, which are Presbyterian in their doctrine, but they're Baptistic in their practice, meaning only adults get baptized. So you've got all these different views. Why are there so many different views on baptism? Well, let me see if I can take a stab at explaining why I think a misunderstanding of Acts leads to these conclusions. First one you have is 238. And this is sort of the whetstone for the Church of Christ in the room. You will know this verse very well. Uh, to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So when that verse is introduced, it's introduced to a context of Jewish Christians who were just on the heels of crucifying Christ. And when Peter preached to them, there's a sequence of events that occurs. And he says, repent. What's he saying? You've got to change your mind about the man you just killed. You just murdered Messiah. Let's put it in coarse language. You killed Messiah. And they're pierced to the heart. What do we do? You must change your mind about what you do. That's why he uses the word repent. And you're not being baptized for the remission of sin in the sense we would run to that phrase. You're being baptized to identify with the man you just killed as Messiah. You just killed him. Repent, change your mind about him, and align yourself as a follower of his. Now, if that's a progression we carry throughout the whole Bible, we have a problem. Because in the Samaritan story, in chapter 8, it happens in a different sequence. So you have people who've already believed. They've been water baptized. But it will take the apostles who pray for them and lay hands on them before they will receive the Holy Spirit. That's out of sequence. Because in Acts 1.8... You're going to see a belief, and you're going to see the Holy Spirit indwell them. Now we've got it out of sequence. So is this story wrong? Look at the third panel, the Gentiles. This is the, the, the two dual dreams for Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius is a Gentile that has an affection for the Jewish synagogue in his town. Um, this is a Gentile population, and he has this dream about Peter coming to see him. Peter gets the vision with the sheet, take, kill, and eat, take, kill, and eat three times. No, Lord, I've never done anything unclean. No, the gospel's going to the Gentiles. So Cornelius, we call him a pious person. He's not a Christian, or kind of, or maybe. He's not a Jew, we know for sure. He's got faith. But the Holy Spirit has come upon him, and then he's water baptized. Out of sequence. Out of sequence. Last one, John's disciples. And this one to me is the most intriguing. Because they followed who? John the Baptist. They were segregated from Christ's disciples, remember, a few times in storylines where they, you know, the disciples were doing different things. So these are his followers, and in that text, they've not even heard about the Holy Spirit. They've already been water baptized under John's baptism. They're rebaptized. Then the Apostle Paul comes and lays hands on them because they said, what, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit? And then they get the Holy Spirit. Now, just keeping those four in tension, if you stopped on any one, you could build an entire denomination which is what has happened. Because you've got to look at this as a transition, not as a sequence of events. You can't align those sequences to make sense theologically. There's no way you can resolve this problem unless you see it as a transition. Because the Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, and Johns were at different places in their understanding of the gospel. That's what the story is acts about. You don't know enough not to know what you don't know. When you learn about, oh, I already believe, but I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing person? It, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, you need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to dwell them. Didn't the Holy Spirit dwell everyone in Acts 2? Evidently not, because people who came to Christ after that time were in a context. 
whether it was Cornelius or the Samaritans or John's disciples. Make sense? So keeping those four different uh, times baptism occurs is very helpful in understanding the confusion. And it, it should not surprise us at all that there's so much confusion in local churches about how we administer this rite called baptism. And that's why I love being part of a Bible teaching church as opposed to a denominational church. Not that they don't always get it, they always get it wrong, but sometimes they get it right. But the freedom to say, what's the scripture say? What's the scripture teach? And can we align ourselves to that best we can interpret, study, analyze, and so forth before we just go because it's always been done a certain way. We have global partners around the world. We have people who are in church planning work in all kinds of difficult places. Denislam is one of our friends. Um, Brian Pitek is our global outreach pastor, and he writes, this is about a year ago, I think, maybe more. Hello, my dear Brian and the whole Church of Fellowship. Last week we held a camp for children five days, and today was baptism. Thank you all for your support. We all feel that you pray for us. Thank you, Den. And you'll see some of the images where they were baptizing. And I, I heard that it was very cold that day. I don't know how cold, but um, that's a little different than being in a trough, I guess. But the, the point is, here are believers around the world who are teaching the Scripture the same way we would teach it, and people are following in baptism the same way we would explain it. That's simply the point, and that's where the, the global partnership is exciting about how the gospel works around the world. I'd like you to read with me Galatians 3, a couple of verses, beginning verse 26. This passage underscores also the same idea of what we're being identified with when a person is baptized. Um, read it well with me, but notice you're all sons of God through faith. The way a person is saved is by faith, not by works. You're saved the same way Abraham, we've been studying, it was reckoned to him as righteous because he believed. Same is true today. Read with me, read aloud. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Think about, we've been studying about Abraham. It's that spiritual lineage. He believed God, was reckoned to him as righteous. There is no law in Abraham's time that's yet to come. And it's the same faith that saved Abraham that identifies you and I are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is an outward expression. So what? Three points as we transition. Number one, believers, baptism is identification with Christ. Get one word cemented in your mind. Baptism means identification. Mode is important. Mode is not as critical as understanding what it means to be. I'm being identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christ's command is to make disciples and baptizing them. If Christ commanded us to identify his followers with him by this symbol of baptism, then we're obeying him. Thirdly, if you trust Christ, it follows that at some point you need to be identified with him. Years ago, when I lived in Northern Virginia, D.C. area, I did a long series on baptism. And at the end of the series, I simply said, you know, if you, if you get baptized for no other reason, get baptized because Christ said to be baptized. And the school teacher came up. It was a four or five part series, I forget. She came up afterwards and goes, you know, why didn't you just say that at the beginning? I got baptized. She said the other was helpful, but at the end of the day, it was like Christ said to be baptized. And so for no other reason, we are identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to enjoy and celebrate with these uh, men and women and some parents and family and friends here. Let me pray for that time. Father, 
What a delight to be part of your church, no matter what the world says or does, no matter how crazy things become. You are sovereign. You are yet on the throne. You are not wringing your hands in heaven. May we be a people that is faithful no matter what. We uh, pray for these men and women and, and young children who are being baptized, their family. to be a joyful celebration of what you're doing in their life as they publicly identify as followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.